God is smarter than humans. The early church had just as many problems as the church today does. And we learn that high leadership in the church means that you're considered a pile of garbage. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Like, subscribe, mm-hmm. comment, get the word out there. Brandon, we are in a new book today. Oh yeah, First Corinthians. What a great book. Mm-hmm. We're diving deeper and deeper into the letters of Paul, mm-hmm. and this one is, if you go to a bad church, just know that there was a church once <laughs> upon a time that was worse than yours. <laughs> I, I love our church, so I'm obviously not unbiased, but um, you know, I'm like, our church is great. Yeah. But man, can you imagine being part of a church like this? But I always hear, yeah, it'd be horrible. I always hear like statements like, "Man, I wish, I wish, I wish churches today were just like the churches you yeah. know, back in the early church when the apostles were running things." It's like, do you really? We need to get back to the early church, back like, to sleeping with stepmoms uh, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> really, just great stuff, you know? Um, yeah, wow, bizarre. But we are in First Corinthians. Um, let's talk about some of the the intro materials. Oh yes, we yeah. need to do introductory materials because we need to learn about it's a new book. book. Yeah, it's, it's a new book. book. Yeah. So, uh, who wrote it? Paul. Easy. Are you sure about that? We're in the letters of Paul, so I mean, you know, some people aren't sure about it, but actually, no. This is this is considered one of the undisputed letters. I believe. Yeah, so because no one really disputes he talks it. about people he knows, he has affections for him, all that kind of stuff. It's clear. It seems clear when he's writing he like knows it, what these people that he's talking to like first timothy people don't like it because I, I just learned this actually i didn't realize this specific detail but i've always known first timothy the critics don't like it because paul says like men are supposed to be pastors oh, yeah. women okay. aren't. Yeah. so i knew that but what i didn't know is that the way they explain first corinthians 14 where it talks about how women should be yeah. silent in the churches yeah is they believe that the first timothy guy came in and wrote that like he added that in Oh. I'm sure they mean like by a f- like editing, like later he like added his own things in. But I just like to imagine that Paul was writing this letter and then he had to go to the bathroom and then the guy comes in <laughs> and is like, women can't be pastors. And then he runs out the window and Paul just keeps writing. That's how yeah, I like to think of it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, so kind of creative, creative stuff. But yeah, no, people agree that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. Awesome. And yeah. who was it written to? The Corinthians, oh, the church of Corinth. Wow. Yeah, Corinth, Yeah, which is... You know, Corinth was a, an important city. So Corinth Portia, is yeah. kind of toward the south of, of Greece today. You can still go there. It's great. It's a big bustling city. I've been there. I would love to go there. Um, but uh, it's a coastal town that is actually on this land bridge between two big big portions of Greece. Hmm. So it became a really important uh, hub of trade. Mm-hmm. And because it was a trade, like a port town, so it had a lot of ships coming in, trade coming through, it was like, even today, I feel like, Port towns are kind of known for sexual promiscuity, but what is it? Uh, 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 Muller says the three C's. Like the closer you get to the coast, the, the cities, coast, the and, cities the, and what's the no the, the campuses? Oh, campuses. Yeah, yeah. The more the more liberal you're going to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this is a very liberal place. Um, the so the ancient town was famous for its sexual promiscuity. Yeah, there there was one ancient so author. The church. <laughs> The, the one ancient author claimed they had a thousand temple prostitutes, which is probably what? an exaggeration. Seriously? Yeah, probably an exaggeration. But that the term for a uh, Corinthian woman was synonymous with prostitute. Wow. And actually to Corinthianize 
and was to fornicate. Can't wait to start preaching through this book. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> so, but that city was actually destroyed by the, by the Romans. So that city is kind of not the city we're talking about. Mm. So it was destroyed by the Romans. They said they would never rebuild it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what they did to deserve that. I, I should probably study the history of that at some point. But but it was rebuilt by Julius Caesar. I see. So you know about thirty six A.D. or B.C. I believe. Um, and the new city was filled with Romans and people who were seeking their fortune. Hmm. So lots of you know freedmen, people who were just kind of barely above slaves, mm-hmm. but that came there to seek a wealthy patron to uh, climb the ladder. And so there was a lot of so the whole like factions thing in this book kind of makes mm. sense because there definitely were kind of that that mentality. Hmm. Um, but and then, and a number of Jews came as well and started a synagogue there. So you can see that today. There's uh, um, evidence of that today. So this, but the old reputation of the city probably persisted still, right? Like if you're you're no like if Vegas got nuked, <laughs> and then like ten years later, well, this is longer than ten years, but you know if it got rebuilt later, and it was like, yeah. oh, it was Sin City before. I don't right. think it's going to become like Salt Lake City or something, right? Like just t- full of uh, Mormons with their cup buttons going. That it's also Sin City, Utah. Well, you know, heresy abounds. I, idol, idolatry city. Oh, there you go. Heresy yeah. city. Yeah, right? there you go. Yeah. Um, doesn't have quite the same ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but so yeah. Anyway, so so some of that some of that influence, that worldly influence, is still present in the city, most likely. And so, whereas Romans was a very general letter, just speaking kind of to the big scope of the gospel, First Corinthians is very specific. Oh yeah, because Paul knew these people, and this is a church that Paul started. Yeah, he planted it. Yeah. So oh. we see that in Acts chapter eighteen where he starts the Corinthian church on his second missionary journey. And Apollos later ministered there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people believe Peter also ministered there for a time. Cool. So that's kind of why you see these different factions within the church, because they are following different influential leaders that they've become attached to. Awesome. So so Paul wrote it. He wrote it to the church there in Corinth in this port city that has great history. Why did Paul write the letter? He, so it seems like he's he's writing it bec- in response to, or I should say, we know he's writing it in response to certain problems in the church. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things happening here. There's a lot of, of division. There's like wealthy versus poor stuff going on, and if it's affecting how they take the Lord's Supper. Like some people are feasting and some people are starving. Yeah. There, there's sexual immorality. There's confusion on food and dietary stuff. Um, there's confusion in the resurrection. Some people believe like resurrection's already happened. Mm-hmm. Like we are resurrected. We're awesome. <laughs> there's they're suing each other. There's yeah. confusion on spiritual gifts. So because of all these issues in the church, a church that's just kind of all over the place, Paul is trying to bring some order back by mm-hmm. giving clarity on these topics. Right. Um, and so actually, we we see that First Corinthians was actually the second letter that Paul sent sent to the church in Corinth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we see this because of First Corinthians five nine. <clears throat> Where he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So he's clarifying something from his first letter in this second letter. So he had already had correspondence with them, at least one letter before this. And in in this letter, he's responding to some specific concerns that he has. And it sounds like some things that they've brought up to him, Mm. that they've asked him about. So he's trying to answer their questions. But he's also saying, hey, is this person or that person told me about what's going on in your church? And it needs to be... Needs to be changed. I guess his first letter didn't wasn't up to snuff because it didn't make it into the canon, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It was not preserved in God's perfect plan, right? So it's yeah. not scripture. But you know, it, it's kind of like reading this book is kind of like if you're listening to your wife talk on the phone, 
right? Like I'll, I'll have this happen. Wife will answer the phone. She'll be talking and the subjects will kind of bounce around and I'm like trying to piece together. Okay, wait, how is it? How does that topic fit with this topic? She's not discussing and who is this person? Right. And why does she look concerned or whatever? Right. Uh, you're trying to piece together a one, like a, from a one sided conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a professor at RTS who used that illustration. I don't, I don't remember his name. I feel bad, but he looked like Dwight Jr. from The Office. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Um, he looked like it was crazy. I sent Laura a picture. I was like, this guy is Dwight Jr. Glasses and the hair. And everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, really, really sharp guy. Um, looked like he was twelve, but great <laughs> professor. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so it's like kind of like you're hearing a one-sided conversation and trying to figure out what's going on here. Right. So there's obviously some opposition in the church. We'll see this in even stronger terms in the Second Corinthians. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be opposition to Paul, but also just these groups that are opposed to each other. Mm-hmm. So it's just all it's just all a mess. It's a house divided. Yeah. So when was it written? It was uh, almost certainly written in mid fifties, probably about 80, 55. Okay. And um, and Second Corinthians is probably written just after. So these they're very very close right. uh, timeline here. Um, what's what's the cohesive theme of this book? So if Romans Romans' theme was just the gospel, then First Corinthians is the gospel applied. Mm-hmm. So he's going to take these truths about the gospel, and he will get into some lofty theology. Mm-hmm. But he's really going to take that and to each one of these points, apply the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the right. gospel message yeah. to those specific situations. Mm-hmm. So you have to see the centerpiece of the book as being 1 Corinthians 15, right. yeah. the, the chapter on the resurrection. That is the center. And as you, if you start to if you read that first and then kind of go back and read through the book, you'll see he's addressing these problems with the resurrection hope right. and correcting their false understandings of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's that's so helpful for us because when we counsel someone, we try to help someone, we have to start with their understanding of the gospel mm-hmm. and yep. to remind them of the truths that they might have lost or the things that they totally misunderstand. Mm-hmm. So this is the gospel applied, First Corinthians. Awesome. How's the book structured? Well, I think you're going to like this. <clears throat> I got um, got some Fs here. So... Nice. One, one, chapters one and two, foundations in the gospel. Foundations. So okay. we're going to look at this, yep. you know, how does the gospel, the foundation, chapters three and four, factions in the yes. church, divisions. Okay. Yep. Uh, chapters five through seven, fornication. Classic. And marriage. Okay. So we'll kind of deal with sex, different issues uh, in marriage and divorce. Chapters eight through 10, food and freedom in Christ. There's the double F. Wow. You got, you got an extra one there. 11 through 14, function of the church. Makes so we'll sense. look at head coverings, Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, Tons, love, order. all, yeah. yeah. And then chapter 15, final resurrection, followed by chapter 16, yes. final instruction. Wow. Yes, I use the same modifier for both, yes, but that's fine. I couldn't figure out a way to make resurrection into an F. Finale resurrection. <laughs> the finale, yeah, the finale of Jesus. So, so that's the outline. So, um, it's it's pretty. I, I think it's actually you can see some of these really clear breaks as you're reading. Oh, yeah. You're like, oh, this is now a new section. This is a new topic. Right. But some of them, like when we see chapters eight through ten, it's harder to see how they cohere. But we'll kind of put those pieces together a little bit. Awesome. <clears throat> Sweet. You want to get in the text? Let's do it. Chapter one. Chapter one. With the time we have left, chapter one. Um, we see his intro to the church. I'll kind of skip skip over that. Don't I just you know don't even mind the our time here. You don't like Paul's intros? Paul's intros are great. They're great. They're yeah. great. No. Verse ten. <laughs> I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So 
he's appealing to, this is the first problem that we're going to see in the book. Okay, so there's division. We'll see this kind of fleshed out more. But he he says you're, you've taken this party mentality. Mm -hmm. And part of this is probably the culture they're in. Like I mentioned, there's already this mentality of, you know, climbing the social ladder, being part of the best group. There's also very influential leaders in Corinth because they, like other Greek towns, had these um, rhetoricians, these these philosophers and these eloquent speakers that would gain followings, yeah. sort of like celebrities today. And so it's kind of a normal thing to do in a worldly sense, mm-hmm. but Paul is really upset by this. Right. And he says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. <laughs> and then he kind of says, well, I did maybe baptize that person. Well, maybe, I don't know if I baptize anyone remember. else. Yeah, I, I love it. Love he's like qualifying everything. But he's saying, if I had, you would have thought that you know, you had some sort of special grace from God or something. Right. And so th- th- there's this is just a house that is divided. It's messed up. And so he's trying to bring the answer, which the answer is the gospel. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, right. but to preach the gospel preach. and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Yeah. So he's going to attack the wisdom mindset of the Greeks and, and the Gentiles and this I- idea of, there's some sort of hidden knowledge or you have to be, you know, really sophisticated. And he's going to show how how the wisdom of the world falls short. And he's going to talk about the foolishness of the cross. Yeah. It's a really interesting uh, metaphor that he or picture that he uses. So look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Mm. So the cross is foolishness to those who don't understand it, to the world. The world sees it as complete foolishness because the cross is an instrument of execution. Right. So how could this instrument of execution and Jesus crucified on it, how could that be power? Mm-hmm. But we understand the bigger picture of the gospel. Right. So he goes in, he talks about how God is undoing the wisdom of the world. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So what is the problem with the world's wisdom? Is it bad to go to college to get educated? No, I don't think he's saying that. I think he's saying this is why the world's wisdom is not that helpful. Right. Because it doesn't bring us to a knowledge of God. Right. That's what we need. We need revelation from God. We need God to reveal himself to us, to show us who he is. Otherwise, we won't know him. Mm-hmm. The world's wisdom can't do that. Right. So therefore, it is foolishness when compared to to the gospel, right? Even though in the, in the world's eyes, it's the opposite. Verse 25, he says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Right. So he's showing that this foolishness is actually the answer. Right. It's the answer. And so, I mean, that that begs the question of, well, is the gospel actually foolish? Right. And it's only foolish in the sense that the that it's counterintuitive to worldly wisdom. Right. It undermines, it supplants what the world thinks is true wisdom. Mm-hmm. And it shows just how God's working. No one could have ever written the story. No one could have ever made this up or invented this way of God working in the world. Right, yeah. So in that sense, it is foolishness. Mm-hmm. Right. And he says, I mean, look, look at the function of the church. Look at you yourselves. Mm-hmm. You're foolish. You're not impressive people, right? Verse 26, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Okay, you're kind of getting a little bit offensive here, Paul. You're calling us foolish. You're calling us weak. Verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world. Oh, come on, Paul. Even things that are not, 
Mm-hmm. You're, you're nothing to bring to nothing the things that are right. so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So he's saying, look at the way God put together the church. It's not the powerful and the wise of the world. It's those the world would see as insignificant. Right. And yet God is working through that right. to show his power. Yeah, amen. So that this is how the, the worldly wisdom is undermined by God to show that we have to all depend on, on him, right. that we can't boast in anything in ourselves. Yeah. Chapter 2, let's go there. Chapter 2, I love, he again is, is attacking this lofty wisdom, and he says, I didn't come to you with that. Instead, verse 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Mm. So this is the focus. He's talking about the gospel message. He's saying, it was the good news of Jesus that became my focus. And is he saying with that, you know, Christ crucified, is he saying that he didn't talk about the resurrection? Of course not, or other things. What he's saying, again, is he's focusing on the folly aspect of the gospel and saying that became my focus mm-hmm. to show you how God is wiser than men. Right. And, and so he's using that as kind of a summary for the whole gospel. And so the gospel becomes, the good news of Jesus becomes his focus that is going to allow him to bring resolution to all these problems they have. Right. Come back to the, the basics. Right. So often as Christians, we can think we need some new wisdom or new insight and even think the world can offer something much better than what God can. I hear that all the time in counseling people, especially recently, I've been talking to many different people that are so caught up in the wisdom of the things that they can achieve or learn in this life and think those are going to somehow satisfy them. Or somehow their professing believers think that the gospel isn't the driving force behind all the wisdom that we need to know, you know, so they, they go to other things and yeah. they end up ruining their lives because of it. Yeah, so. absolutely. So we come again and again to the basics. The gospel is not just what gets you in the door of faith. It's what brings you all the way home. Right. Yeah. And so it's what we come back to again and again to see uh, who we are, to reshape our identity, to think, to renew our minds, think differently. Mm-hmm. So Paul is again and again saying that's, that was my focus with you. Mm-hmm. And he, said, he wants to say, well, we do have wisdom from God, verse 6, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, yeah. although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who right. are doomed to pass away. But instead it's this you know, secret, hidden wisdom from God, a much greater wisdom, much more important wisdom. And so he's, he's showing them again and again that it's the Spirit of God that gives true wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse 11, who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person? He said, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, mm-hmm. that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Right. So having God's Spirit means that you are now able to understand things that were impossible for you to understand before. Yeah. And he shows that contrast in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. Right. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So in in the natural world on your own, you can't understand the things of God. Right. So even if you, even if they're clearly in front of you, right, you are blind to that. And so you need God's spirit to come inside you to open your eyes, to illuminate your understanding. Right. So that you can understand those things. Yep. Exactly. So this is the wisdom that God gives. It's a wisdom that is so antithetical to the world. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, just to throw it out there, it's consistent with Paul's theology in Romans as well, that God needs to transform us in order for us to even be able to start to renew our mind by reading the Word and understanding the Gospel. It all starts with God and His sovereign plan for our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah, so so we see some of these these basics he's laying out foundations for the rest of the book. Let's look at chapter three, verse verse four. We see uh, the problem here when one says, "I follow Paul," and another, "I follow Apollos." Are you not being merely humans? This is going back to what he said in chapter one. We kind of brushed over it, but you know, oh, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas or Peter. And then someone's like, I follow Christ. Like, ooh, okay, you're the every, everyone hates you because you're like, I'm just like better than all of yeah. you. He's saying, no, it's not about these groups or, or you know who's teaching you follow, but it's about do you actually love God and follow God? Yeah. And he he he's undermines that thinking, and he gives two metaphors. One is agricultural in verses five through nine, and then one is a construction metaphor in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nine, the end of nine through 10 or through uh, 15. And what he does is he talks about, you know, verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Mm -hmm. Let each one take take care how he builds upon it. So he's speaking now to leadership in the church. How are you going to build upon this? He's like, I started this church. I laid this foundation. Um, The foundation is Christ. Mm -hmm. So you can't change the foundation, but how are you going to build on it? Right. Are you going to build in a way that will endure? Are you going to build in a way that will pass away? Are you going to build with gold, silver, precious stones, right. or with wood, hay, or straw? Right. Are you going to build with things that will pass through that fiery test of the end, or the things that will burn up? Yeah. So you better be building with the gospel. Yeah. So what kind of ministry are we doing? Yeah. Let's let's build let's build in a solid way, and that means staying close to God's word, being faithful to what He says, and teaching people to do the same. Yeah. What great application for how I mean how we should run our churches today and what should we should be focused on as Christians, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. And then he says, verse 16, do you not know that you are the God's temple and that God's yeah. spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Mm. So this is talking about why we need to do yoga and eat vegan, right? <laughs> yeah. We are, <laughs> we are the temple of God. Yes. Um, this my body is a temple. He's not saying you're like as great as this body is. All right, <coughs> next to me here. Yeah. No. Um, he's not. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying your corporate collective, you, yeah. your body, meaning the church, mm-hmm. the corporate gathering, the people of God. You know, collectively, you're the temple of God. You're right. the. You're. The, this is the body, and so you need to make sure that you take care of this. Right. And and you steward what's been given to you. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the big idea. Um, let's go to let's go to chapter four. Chapter four. So we see um, Paul begins to kind of argue on behalf of, of his own ministry. It's kind of interesting. But he's saying, you know, verse one, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So he's going to talk a little bit about how their ministry is as apostles and how that should function in the life of the church mm-hmm. um, in terms of this this division that's happening. Verse right. 7, he says, What do you then have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So mm-hmm. what's happening here is there's a triumphalism from the Corinthians. Mm-hmm. They're thinking that they're great, that they've achieved it all, that they're you know super mature, spiritually mature. And like I said, they they believe that the resurrection in some degree has already happened. That they're they're just great. They're like glorified and perfected, and they can do whatever they want. Right. And Paul is trying to humble that, and he's doing it by contrasting his own mindset about his his own ministry mm-hmm. and about the foolishness of his ministry. He becomes the fool, 
Mm-hmm. And again, this really happens in Second Corinthians. Right. Okay, I'm, look how foolish I am. Look how lowly I am, despised I am. Don't you see that that's not what God cares about? Right. That's not what, what makes someone great. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. Mm. We are weak, <laughs> but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When revivally blessed, when persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Mm. What a statement about leadership. Yeah, he's saying, look, we're we're nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, you think you're something. Like this is this is a very strange way to think, and so he invites them to be imitators of him. He says, "I'm your father." Verse fifteen, right? So verse sixteen, be imitators of me, imitate me, mm-hmm. become lowly like me. Don't think in the way the world thinks mm-hmm. in terms of who's influential, who's powerful. How can I do one up somebody else? Right. This doesn't have any place in the function of of God's church. Well, it almost mirrors his, his last point about you know. The wisdom of the world says, get all these things, right? Yeah. Be comfortable, do all this. And that's what it means to win, right? When the Christian knows that to win is to have Christ, and that's all we need. So forego the things of this world, right? So yeah, kind of get echoes of his last statement in a more practical sense almost. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. So he says, verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not consistent in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So he ends with sort of a, a threat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to say like a thinly veiled threat. Like, not really. It's like, when you come, do you want me to be angry and set you straight? Or are we going to be cool? Yeah. Like, oh, like, are you going to correct this type of thinking that you right. have yeah. that is so worldly and so triumphalist and so arrogant? Yeah. And so we see just that need to constantly correct ourselves with the gospel. Mm-hmm. If the gospel is the foolishness of God, as mm-hmm. he's talking about here, which again means the world doesn't get it, it's antithetical to the world, mm-hmm. then we can't then live for the wisdom of the world right. and for the power of the world and for what the world values. Right. We have to see everything in light of Christ and become fools for Christ's sake. Yeah, amen. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us for uh, Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week for the next part of the book of First Corinthians.